morning, everyone. Once again, welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And I uh, just want you to know what a privilege it is to be with you this morning. I want to say thank you to those of you who are here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being present. Those of you who are online, we th- thank you for choosing to join us in that capacity. And um, if you're online, we want to make sure you're able to connect with us in the best way possible. And that is by going to our online platform, which you can find at onelifeseattle.org forward slash live. Um, reason we point you there is because although we stream on Facebook and Vimeo and YouTube, um, the platform is designed specifically to help you connect. Um, it has all kinds of resources um, that are there that you can't get anywhere else. So if you're online, please go there. Um, you'll find it to be a much more um, kind of connecting experience. Um, and know that those of you who are online, whether that's now or later, we um, so appreciate you joining us in this capacity. So um, and I just say, uh, as we've been opening up, it is so good to just hear voices, uh, to see your faces. Um, There's something about that. And I know in the summer, when the sun comes out, there's lots of options to go do. And so the fact that you would choose to be here present, um, to sing, to worship is um, huge. So thank you. Um, Today we're going to continue in our sermon series called Discipleship, Finding Our Way in Jesus. And over the last 12 weeks, we've covered a ton of content. Um, And each week we do a bit of a recap because um, part of the problem is we found that our understanding of discipleship is not matching up with what we see in scripture. And we need to relearn what discipleship is about. So we always do these kind of recaps over and over again to help us kind of get it get it in our hearts, in our minds, what we're really talking about when we talk about finding our way in Jesus. So I am going to do a little bit of um, a review, and Henry, thanks for running slides for me, everything. Um, This morning, if you were online, you heard, but we've had some crazy things. We got here this morning. Um, There was signs of a car accident in front of the building, and by signs, I mean glass and pieces of car, Um, and our sign was smashed. Um, No signs of any broken cars or anything other than the pieces they left. Um, Half of our lights in here aren't working. We've had all kinds of tech stuff. And so I feel like anything I touch has potential to go down right now. So I'm going to try not to do that. But uh, that said, uh, (laughs) stay with me. Um, Let's get a quick review. Discipleship, this word disciple, is not something we typically find in our day-to-day culture. And we learned that a rabbi-disciple relationship predates Jesus. That a rabbi is this master teacher, this person who had incredible wisdom and application of the scriptures. And the ultimate goal for the people of the day was to be a disciple, a learner, a student, or an apprentice of a rabbi. That's what a disciple was, a learner, a student, or apprentice of a rabbi. And we learned that a disciple wasn't like a student like we think of today, where we are memorizing content, getting tested on information, or learning a trade. Rather, this was about learning a way of life in every context of life in order to learn how to embody the the rabbi in every way. We learned that the rabbi-disciple relationship was one that was very intimate and personal. It wasn't like a teacher-student that's kind of up there and we don't really have a relationship with. This was an ongoing, day-to-day, moment-to-moment, personal relationship. It wasn't about rules and policies and procedures that we're following. We're following a person, which is very important for us to know. And we learned that in order to be a disciple, a rabbi needed to believe you could do what the rabbi does. 
And if he thought that, then he would invite you to be one of his disciples. And so that's really important for us to know because Jesus uses classic rabbi language and says, come follow me, because he sees each and every one of us is capable of being like him. That he wouldn't invite us to be his disciples if he didn't think we could do what he does. And that's good news. And it makes sense then why the disciples in the day, when they're fishing and they're doing whatever they're doing, they had not gotten into a rabbi-disciple relationship. When they have Jesus come and say, come follow me, it makes sense why they would drop everything because that was the ultimate thing you could do is have a rabbi invite you to follow him. And so they drop everything and they they change their whole life, their whole identity changes, and they they enter into um, a gospel identity, and it's rooted in the Trinity, because we're now baptized in the name of the Father, which makes us all family. We're baptized in the name of the Son, which makes us all servants, and we are baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, which makes us all sent ones and missionaries. So we have this new identity. Then we spent time for the many weeks looking at what this looks like manifested in action and engagement, discussing the way of dependence, the way of encounter, the way of confrontation, the way of justice, the way of prayer, the way of hospitality, all how it's modeled in the person of Jesus, our rabbi. And Greg created this image last week that is a perfect way of looking at this. It's just springing out of this rabbi-disciple relationship, all these kinds of things. And it reminds us of a quote we've used often by Esau Macaulay, which says this, as all of Paul's letters make clear, Christian discipleship is about showing how the implications of the gospel spread out in a thousand directions. See, it's not about, I do this discipleship thing here once in a while. Right? And that's part of the problem with discipleship. We've made discipleship into curriculum. We've made it into programs, into growth charts, in levels of learning with 101 and 201. And we've compartmentalized discipleship to be something we do here versus there. We do it sometimes, but not all the time. And we even come up with these systems that make us feel like we can judge who's a real disciple and who isn't. And that's not what discipleship is about. And today we're talking about the way of service and how we think about service is a perfect example of how we've gotten it mixed, 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 we've gotten it messed up with regards to discipleship because service is another one of those things where we've kind of got this idea that if I do this service for this hour or two this week, then I've done my stuff. But that's what we're going to see is not how Jesus modeled the way of service. You see, what we've done is we've made being a disciple into something we do versus something we are. And that's a really important thing for us to understand because an apprentice of Jesus is not something that we do or don't do or something we switch on and off at certain times or just have certain levels and then we stop. And the way of service, as we will see, is an example of our rabbi. is not something we just do once in a while or this time of the day and not the rest of the day. The way of service is tied to our gospel identity in Christ, which is why it's so important for us to understand that discipleship is a lifelong process of growth in a way of life that's at the core of who we are in Christ. And Caesar Kalinowski, another quote that we've used each week, says it this way, discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel of Jesus in absolutely every area of life. 
which is a really great kind of idea to be thinking about because it, it, it shows how our relationship with our rabbi should inform and shape everything about us from the minute we get up to the moment we go to bed and everything in between and what we do. Acts 17, 28 is the scripture we've landed on as our theme, and it says it this way, for in Jesus we live and move and have our being, which is the perfect picture of this discipleship relationship. Now, before we begin, I know Greg mentioned it. If you haven't gotten a Bible, love for you to get one. There's ones in the back. If you're online, you can use our online platform to do so. If you have some paper and something to write with, it's a great way to stay engaged, help you write down questions and thoughts, scriptures, um, all those kinds of things help us stay connected to what we're learning. So I encourage you to do that. And um, before we launch into um, what we're learning today, I'm going to pray. Let's do that. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for your goodness and grace, and we thank you for your faithful presence, even in the midst of what feels like uh, all kinds of distractions. Thank you that you're present. Even now, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to be with me as I'm feeling scattered. We ask that you would just help us all feel invited into whatever it is your Spirit has for us this morning as we, as we look at your Word, as we consider these things that we've learned and how they may or may not align with what you're teaching us as our rabbi. So be with us, we pray, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I said, we're talking about this idea of service, and so I want to start with a question, and I'd love to hear from you, and those of you who are online, I'll be checking the online platform as well, um, but uh, the question is, what comes to mind when you think about the idea of service? Real simple, what comes to your mind when you think of the idea of service? Could be finishing the sentence, right? Service is blank, or it could be your definition of service, or how you might kind of describe what it is to serve. So thoughts, what comes to your mind when you hear the word service? Helping others, Helping others. okay. Others? Military, okay. Army what? Oh, army brat. Okay, we, Dan Seegers is an army brat. Let's go on record. Okay. Yes, Lauren. Nordstrom's. Nordstrom's, okay. Oh, Nordstrom used to be known for their service. Maybe not so much now. Who knows? Who knows? Cindy Gilbert online says helping others. Any other thoughts? Service, yeah. Oh, interesting. We might be looking at that later today. So washing the feet of the disciples, yes. Sorry? Giving, okay. Using your gifts. Ooh, that's good. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Okay, now, what happens when I change the word from service to servant? What happens to the meaning? What changes for us when we hear the word Servant. And I'll push you a little further if you don't want to go there. What happens when we change the word from service to servant to slave? What? Status change. Okay. What else? Sounds more negative. Okay. What else? Like it's an obligation. Okay. Yeah. Becomes a noun. Okay. Others, what happens when the word service moves from servant to maybe slave? Constant identity, yeah. 
Reminds us of terrible things in our history, yeah. Okay. Okay, servant feels like someone who's been hired. Slave feels like someone who's been forced. Good. Interesting. The way of service is embodied by our rabbi Jesus changes a ton for us when we swap the word service with servant or slave. And this is a perfect example of how our idea of discipleship has changed. When we think of service, we can so easily compartmentalize it and make it something we do. But when we think of service as that of a servant or a slave, this feels more like an identity or a reality that's always with us. So which is it? When our rabbi Jesus talks about, teaches, and models service to his disciples, what does it look like, and are we living out that example? And that's a really important question, and it leads me to our first text today, which Angie led us to, so good job. This is in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to go there. Um, If not, I'm going to read it, and the text will be displayed here, but I encourage you to look at it. It goes like this, John chapter 13, 1 through 17. It says, It was just before Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Jesus, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. The whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12 When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So this is a great example of a rabbi-disciple relationship and how they learned on the go, which is something we've seen over and over again. It wasn't a classroom teaching. It wasn't a whiteboard. It wasn't memorize these five steps. It was a watch-and-learn experience. It was a do-as-I-do experience. So if we just ask Jesus to teach us about service, What do we see Jesus teaching us in this text? Well, let me ask you this. According to this text, what do we know about the context? What's happening? Okay. But 
context-wise, what's happening is what's about to happen. We're getting really close to a big event. Okay, about to go to be crucified, right? This is uh, the, the end of the journey for Jesus with regards to leading up to the crucifix. Who's, who's present? The, the disciples are all present, including Judas. How far in the rabbi-discipleship relationship are the 12 at this point? They've been about three years in relationship following their rabbi. This is not new, right? And the reason this is a powerful example is because who would normally be washing feet? A servant would be washing the feet, right? So Jesus's role has shifted. He's been understood as the rabbi, the ultimate, the teacher, the master, the understanding of scripture and how to live, and he assumes the position of the slave. So this is a very different idea for us to understand. And then what Jesus says is he teaches us by taking on the role of this word servant. And that word in the Greek is pronounced doulos. Say doulos, everyone. Nice, right? And it means a slave, one who's devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. And its root word includes the idea of literally being bound or tied to another. You ever play uh, that game where both one person's leg and another person's legs are tied together and you have to try to do stuff, right? There's something about that. Sometimes the word is translated bond servant. So this is a very different idea of serving in a, compared to a compartmentalized way, isn't it? It's a way of life. It's an identity, and it's all about putting others first. And here in our text, Jesus sets an example for us as his disciples to follow. It's an act rooted in love for all. It's an act of humility. It's an act of service, and it's done for everyone who is present, including our enemies. And like all rabbis, to their students, Jesus follows his embodied teaching by saying, this is the way of life I want you all to embody as you go about your day-to-day. I've just embodied this for you, and now I want you to go do the same. You see, our, uh, Jesus, our rabbi, the Son of God, the Most High King, the Lord of Lords, never placed himself in a position above others. He led by serving and loved by serving. And his examples were never these pre-planned, scheduled events, and they were not dependent on location, situation, audience, or circumstance. Because to be a servant means we generally need to care about people more than we care for ourselves. It's keeping our eyes, our hearts, and our schedules open for divine appointments. Jesus was not stressed by time or what others thought of him or huge lists of tasks to accomplish each day. Jesus was led by the Spirit of God and followed the promptings of the Spirit to serve and to love and to help others wherever he went. And no task was ever beneath Jesus, and no person was unworthy, which to me is a big amen. Which is why when we look at the way of service in the example of our rabbi, we see that Jesus served in many ways, including washing the disciples' feet, including feeding thousands of people in the moment who were in need, including walking to visit and heal the sick and the dead. He stopped in the midst of a walk to touch and heal a sick woman. He spent time with those no one else cared to spend time with, and the list goes on, including the very work on the cross on the behalf of all humanity. 
And when we see this taught and lived out by Jesus, we see a very different example of what we've been taught and modeled regarding service. It wasn't about what Jesus did, rather being a servant was who he was at the very core of his identity. Jesus was the ultimate example of a servant. And this leads me to our second text that I want to look at. And this is in Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, you can keep turning the pages to Philippians chapter 2. Um, and uh, I want you to listen to this text. Again, maybe you've heard this a bunch of times. I want you to try to listen to it maybe as if you've never heard it, as if you're, you're a um, student of Jesus's and you're learning, okay? And this is Paul teaching, and it says this. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. And then it says, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That's that same word, doulos. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, exclamation point. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this text is different in that it's not Jesus himself teaching about the way of service. Rather, it's Paul, one of Jesus' disciples, now trying to help others become disciples, evidenced by how they live. It's a disciple who's making disciples and making disciples. That's important because, again, one of the keys to being a disciple is reproducing, helping others become disciples as well. And this section of Scripture is full of just powerful doctrinal truth with tremendous Christological significance, gives us lots of insight into the nature and work of Christ, and I wish we had time to go into it. But what we need to remember, that when we look at these verses in context, with the surrounding scripture, with this letter as a whole, and the overall argument that Paul's making to the church of Philippi, it's really just practical. It's a practical message. Paul's writing to them to instruct them on how they are to live out their faith in the day-to-day -day life. In other words, this text is not primarily a text about theology surrounding Jesus. It's a passage from a letter to a church explaining to them how to embody the way of Jesus in their everyday life. And Paul says it all starts with having the same mindset as Christ. Or you could translate this to think and to feel and to understand everything just as Christ did. That's exactly what a disciple-rabbi relationship was about. For in him we live, move, and have our being. We think, we feel, we understand everything just as our rabbi would. 
If we're going to have any chance of living out the example of service set before us by Jesus, we have to start with our own understanding, our mind, our attitude, and our beliefs. It's about a day-to-day process of having our mind transformed from unbelief to belief in the gospel of Jesus, which is why it's so important and such good news to remember that our rabbi Jesus believes we can do this. The question is, do we believe we can do this? Because that's what affects how we move forward. Verses 5 through 11 show us how this way of life is to be lived out by describing a servant from the example of Jesus. And it basically says you can't allow Christ to live in and through you and not be a servant. That it's only through servanthood that you can be obedient to God's call on your life. Another way of saying this is it's impossible to truly represent our rabbi Jesus if you are not living as a servant because our God is the perfect example of a servant in every way. And that helps us rethink what our day-to-day looks like, what service looks like. Verse 5 sets the stage for 6 through 11, telling us to do what Jesus did, to think the way he thought, to view others the same way he did, to have the same attitude towards servanthood that he had. This is classic rabbi-disciple language. Copy what I do. Then 6 through 11 spell out very descriptive terms, not only what the mindset and attitude was, but how this is lived out. And the first thing we see is that being a servant means giving up our rights for the sake of of others, which none of us want to do. Right? That's not our natural thing. Verse 6 says, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Christ has always been, is, and always will be God. And the original language here says that Christ is of the very same nature as God, that he was in fact God, and that God lived 100% human and 100% God. It makes it clear that Jesus is not just a prophet, that he's not just a rabbi or teacher, that he's not just a healer, that he was and is God incarnate in the flesh. But notice, he doesn't stop there and says, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. So although Jesus had access to all of the privilege and power to which his divinity entitled him to, Although he could have exploited that privilege and power to dominate his creation, Jesus considered his deity as an opportunity for service and obedience. Instead of using all he'd been given for his own advantage, he used it for others, for those who had nothing, and he used it for each and every one of us. That's another big amen, by the way. (laughs) That's so amazing. All authority and power available to Jesus became a channel of giving rather than a conduit of getting. And his focus wasn't on being served, but on serving others. And I don't know if this has hit you yet, but this is a very striking contrast from the value system of our world and the way of Jesus. And then Paul moves on to build off of this idea and says being a servant means becoming less so others can become more. Verse 7 says, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Again, that word doulos, being made in human likeness. It says Jesus emptied himself, literally poured himself out, made himself nothing depending on your translation. He emptied himself of significance. 
How did he do that? He did it by taking on the form of a slave and the very nature of a servant. Jesus became a servant. Can you imagine willingly leaving the splendor of heaven for the smell of a stable? The company he left of angels for the company of humans. Our omnipresent God took on the limitations of humanity. The distance Jesus had to travel from heaven to the cross, from being exalted in heaven to being crucified on this earth, all of this for love. This is what Jesus talks about, that we need to lose our life in order to save it. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Which leads me to the next point, and that is that servanthood means being obedient no matter the cost. Which verse 8 illustrates, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This morning was a great example. I was already stressed before I got here. And then I show up, and there's car parts and glass, and there's all these things. And then um, I walk in, and things aren't working, right? And, and uh, there's things that need to get set up because um, Heather Weikart couldn't get her car to start this morning, so she couldn't come to get coffee and all these kinds of things. There's all kinds of crazy things happening today, none of which I wanted to do, <laughs> right? Not in my time. I, I got other things I need to do. And yet my opportunity to serve is there, and the question is, will I respond? Does the cost affect it? Do I just say, no, I'm just going to let the whole neighborhood drive through car parts and glass? Am I going to say in all the emails, we have coffee today, and then you show up and we don't have coffee because I didn't want to make it because I had better things to do, right? Jesus says, do I really want to do this cross thing? I don't know. I mean, I care about you all, but I'm not going to do that much. Right? Servanthood means being obedient no matter the cost. And it says Jesus humbled himself, which is truly impossible for us to grasp. The one who made all humanity, who knew the hearts of all humanity, who had all authority over all humanity, humbled himself and allowed himself to be executed by humanity. And not just any execution, but by the cross, which of the day was the most horrible type of death. Reserved for the lowest and the worst of the worst. They never would have wore necklaces with crosses on themselves. It's when we see Jesus on the cross that we see the true nature of God's love perfectly revealed and it's expressed through the way of serving no matter the cost. Now, there's so much more we could talk about. John earlier brought up how it connects to our spiritual gifts, which is, a really great whole other conversation that gifting connect to our service. Um, I wish we had more time to go into all of this, but my hope is that just in looking at these two texts, that you see a picture of the way of service as it was embodied by our rabbi Jesus. And that the way of service is both public and private, that it's absolutely relational in every way, that was faithfully present whenever and wherever Jesus went and that it was at the very core of who Jesus was and is, and it was rooted in love for all. That's the picture we see of the way of service modeled by our rabbi Jesus. And as his disciples, Jesus believes we can do this. 
and asks us to do this and to invite others to embody this same way of life. And so with that, may we be living examples, disciples of our Rabbi Jesus in how we serve, who we serve, and where we serve. And may we continue to grow from unbelief to belief in our understanding of service. And may the way we serve those in need help people experience the unconditional love of Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward and... um, they're going to give us some space to, to kind of ponder. We've, we've taken in a lot, and again, we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, do I believe this, right? Because that's part of it. And how does it impact my day-to-day? And so I have some questions for us, some reflections, some starting points for us to consider as we grow in our discipleship and our way of living out this idea of service. So feel free to use the connection card if you're in the room. You can write on that. It was on your seat. Um, there's a QR code. You can use that. If you're online, there's a link as well. Um, or if you just want to sit back and listen. But I'm going to give you a couple things, and you could pick one or all of them to think about. The first one, maybe take a moment to consider those um, your heart struggles to love and to serve and to ask yourself why that might be the case. And then maybe use that as an opportunity to pray and ask Jesus to change your heart. Now, be careful because Jesus will change your heart and will stretch you and work on you if you pray these prayers. Um, but I think it will draw us into a deeper rabbi-disciple relationship. It will soften our edges. It will teach us to love and serve. So think about those who you struggle to love and why and ask God to change your heart. Next one. Take an honest look at your schedule. Are you doing too much? And maybe ask Jesus to help prioritize or ask for wisdom on what you can set aside and so and you think about this maybe you're keeping your list so full because there's an appearance that comes with that like you're really important or you're so busy you got all these things going on maybe a different question is how does your schedule hinder your ability to serve in any moment And in any case, pray and allow Jesus to free up your time. Ask the Spirit each day to show you what needs to be done and what can be set aside. uh, Third thing. Again, you can pick one, all of these, or you can reflect on all of them throughout the week. What are the needs of those around you? Right? Think about your family. Think about your friends. Think about your neighborhood, your community, your coworkers, your teams. You name it. What are the needs you see around you? It could even be as you walk into the grocery store. What are the needs you see? And then ask God to help you to be more presently aware of the needs of the others around you. And ask for strength to put their needs before yours. That's the part, right? It's one thing to be aware of the needs. It's another thing to be willing to put their needs before yours. And that's the way of service. And part of it is practicing this, right? Opening ourselves, being aware, looking around, seeing what we see, and then looking for those opportunities. Asking the Spirit to lead us and to give us strength. And finally, how often do we listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your day-to-day life and respond in obedience? If that's not something you generally do, that's a good one to start with. Spirit, help me. Be aware of your presence with me. Show me those opportunities. And then ask God to speak to you, to to empower you to serve. Now, I just want to say one little note. 
this church has a lot of really awesome things they do with regards to serving, and I particularly think of our dinner church that's been serving our community meals for the last six years without missing a Monday. I think about our tutoring program that helps all these kids in need with their schooling and, and, and providing meals and, and just caring. These are great opportunities. Kids Life, we have volunteers doing kids, you name it. These are all awesome. I'm not trying to say that just by doing those once a week, that's a bad thing. Those are amazing things. Those have all grown out of opportunities where we became aware of a need in our community, in our congregation, out there, and we tried to figure out ways to enter in and care. What I don't want us to see is that if I just serve here for once a week for an hour, that you've kind of checked off the service box and that you've done it, because that's not the picture, right? So all that to say is I, I want us to realize that serving, however we're serving is a good thing, but also learning that, that serving isn't something we do. It's about something we are. We are servants, and that doesn't change where we go and how our situations are in. And so how do we enter into that with that identity? Okay. Invite you. That's going to stay up for a little bit so you can ponder. The band's going to play acoustically for a little bit just to give you some space. If you'd like prayer, our prayer team's going to be up here. They'd love to pray with and for you. If you're online, if you like prayer, you just hit that request prayer button to the left side of the chat. They would love to pray for you in a private prayer chat line. So take advantage of that. But use the space just to reflect. How is it? Think about it as if you are sitting with your rabbi. You're asking Jesus, what does service look like for my life? What can I do to serve, to be like you, my rabbi, and allow Jesus to speak to you? I'm going to close our time with prayer. We'll have some space to reflect, and then we'll join with one last song of response. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for the way of service you have modeled to us. None of us would be here if you didn't truly embody the perfect example of service on the cross on each of our behalf. When we picture you washing the disciples' feet, including the person who's going to betray you, we are reminded of our own sin and that you love us no matter what, that you'd go to the ends of the earth for us, no matter the cost, and you modeled that, whether it was stopping to heal someone or feeding those in need, you name it. Jesus, our rabbi, we ask you to continue to teach us. We know this isn't just a one lesson thing, and now we've learned it. As we continue to walk with you, help us to be your examples. Help us to move from unbelief to belief in these areas that we struggle with, that we might represent you well in our family, in our neighborhood, in our community, with our friends. And God, we, we, we just want to own that we can't do this on our own. We need you, Holy Spirit. So help us to be aware of your presence with us in our day-to-day -day, that we might be open to these opportunities, these divine appointments to serve, whatever they might be, for your glory. So be with us as we reflect. Be with us as we sing this last song of response. And be with us as we go. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.